give me a moment to catch my breath. I had to direct the choir, and it kind of wore me out a little bit. <clears throat> Let's give God some praise for the choir again. Thank you so much. Wonderful job. You join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, and I want to begin reading at verse 18 and concluding at verse 22, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9, verses 18 through 22. Gospel is recorded by Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, there came a synagogue official and bowed down before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the hem, the fringe of his cloak garment. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I shall get well. Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. I want to highlight the language of verse 21, particularly the first sentence. For she was saying to herself, I want to talk about self-talk and soul talk. Self-talk and soul talk. When I raised the issue of self-talk or soul talk, I wanted to be clear that I'm neither suffering from some psychological disorder, nor does it suggest that I'm experiencing some form of temporary insanity. However, if I am at least doing either, I'm in the camp, statistically, of good company, millions across the country who exercise self-talk and soul talk. Psychiatrists say that there's a connection between mental computation and mouth proclamation. In other words, what I am thinking will eventually, if I process it, come out through the words from my mouth. Do you understand the words that are coming from my mouth? But I am convinced that it makes sense that if I talk to myself, I am feeding my brain, I am feeding my emotions, I am feeding my self-esteem, I'm feeding my ego. In essence, I'm feeding my entire being. And I'm again in good company because all across the sacred text, there are those 
in the biblical context who often talked to themselves. You read the book of Genesis, you'll find out that it is convincingly evidence that Joseph probably had ongoing conversations with himself after being incarcerated for some two plus years wondering why am I in this place considering I've done nothing wrong in terms of the law and two, why would God permit such an action to happen unto me? If you read the Exodus account, you might witness Moses talking to himself as he is experiencing the burning bush on the backside of the desert, but asking himself, I know that I am seeing what I'm seeing, but why is this bush burning and yet it is not consumed? When you read First and Second Samuel, you'll find out that David probably talked to himself as he stood out on his ledge witnessing beneath him Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop. And he began to ask himself not only who is she, but what are the potential opportunity for me to have her for myself? And self, at what cost can I have Bathsheba? Jeremiah records for us that he himself talked with himself, talked to his soul, for upon his own incarceration by King Zedekiah, he began to ask God the question, why did you not tell me that preaching in the prophetic would bring about an incarceration and hatred even from my own family? As he conversed with himself, he argued that I am no longer going to talk about God. In fact, I am fed up with God. I have met my limit with God, I'm no longer going to preach about God because he has frustrated me. Jeremiah's not in the camp by himself. There are many of us who felt like Jeremiah, feel like Jeremiah, probably will feel like Jeremiah. But Jeremiah says, in talking with myself, I realize I can't stop talking about God because it's like fire shut up in my bones. Jonah had a talk with himself, moving along on the sea, recognizing that the ship to which he was a part was under tremendous stress, and self helped him realize that this stressful moment was there because he had decided to disobey the direction of God. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I'm going in the opposite direction. And God has to remind Jonah who's actually in charge of life. And in Jonah's exit to go in another direction, he begins to talk to himself and say, there's no need for me to kill everybody on board just because I'm not in the will of God. Let me get this thing straight. And if that's not enough, First and second Kings tell us that Elijah the prophet talked to himself after running from Ahab and realizing that Jezebel actually was the corporate who put a hit out on his life. 
He goes and sits under the juniper tree to begin to say to himself, self, what's the purpose? Nobody is preaching but you. It's best if we just die and go on home and live in eternity. So he cries out to God, please take me home from this place because I'm the only preacher in town. And yet God responds back to himself and tells him, you're not the only preacher. In fact, I've got many more who are standing the test of time just like you are. But someone might think that because you talk to yourself, you are certainly insane. Or that there is something psychologically going wrong in your mind. Or to really push this thing to the point one reason I think that Jesus enjoyed the presence of children is because children have an incredible vivid imagination. And they often exercise self-talk themselves. If you've ever noticed sometimes in your children, you may have a child. I was this kind of child, and I believe one of my children was like this. You could see them sitting around at a table as if there are some other imaginary friends at that table, and they even set up a place for them at the table. See them playing with a doll as if that doll is actually conversing with them, and all they're really doing is self-talk, reminding themselves that they are working through a process in their mental mind. Ain't nothing wrong with talking to yourself. In fact, we're going to find out that there's a woman who got her healing all because she started to talk to herself, which gave her inspiration to make her way to her healing. For sometimes, if you listen to other people talk, it may get you in a lot of trouble that won't help you get to where you need to be. So you got to take a step back and let me see if I can just talk to myself and work this thing out. In fact, there are some solutions to life and some issues that I got to admit, I would not have arrived at a conclusion had I not talked to myself. Not just my mental self, but to my soul. I said to my soul, we need to have a talk because something is not right. What brought me to this conclusion about this text was the listening and the reading of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. As I begin to read that, in that chorus, there is a bold proclamation made in the chorus that whosoever singing the chorus has to be able to repeat that phrase twice. It is well it is well with my soul. But how can you boldly declare that it's well with your soul without at least a periodic visitation to evaluate who you are? Without a moment of at least looking back in your mind and in your soul and asking a couple questions. One, is it well with my soul right now? Two, has it ever been well with my soul? And three, will it ever be well with my soul? And four, can it be well with my soul? You can't answer those questions without conversing with your soul and your heart about what wellness is. And I got to wrestling with that thing and wondering what does the writer try to intend to tell us? And unless you know the history 
of Horatio Spatford, you would know why this hymn came about. Spatford invested a great deal of money into the Lakeshore property down in the Lake Michigan in Chicago and, and realized that at the 1871 Great Chicago Fire, he lost all of his investment. The fire burned down the properties. Hurt by what has happened, not only that, but on top of that, he had previously lost a son, he and his wife. He felt like they needed a vacation, so he begins to board his wife and his remaining four daughters and send them on a trip to Europe. On their way across the Atlantic, that ship had a clash with another ship, and it sank the ship that his wife and his four daughters were on. He lost his four daughters in the sank. In fact, those who did survive, it says that they eventually, after a few days, ended up in Wales, only to have his wife to cable him with two words, saved alone. He knew then that something was wrong when she said saved alone to only find out that he had lost his four daughters in the sinking of the ship. He had stayed back because there were business opportunities he'd need to try to work at in order to recoup some of the loss that he had. But eventually, upon receiving that cable, he makes his way to his wife. Upon arrival, he sees her and they go back to at least the space, the geographical area, where his four daughters had drowned. It is said that it is there where he began to pen these very words, when sorrows like sea billows roll. As he looks upon the sea, he can hear almost, says one historian, the cries of his daughters from a space that he cannot rescue. And yet he hears the sea billows rolling and he began to pen together as he made his way back to shore. When peace like a river visits my soul, when billows, when sorrows like billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. But how do you say that? How do you say it's well with your soul when you have lost a son? When you have lost all of your remaining assets? When you have lost four daughters in a shipwreck? How do you come about being able to stand and proclaim whatever my lot you have taught me to say it is well with my soul you can't say that unless you know the God of peace that surpasseth all understanding you can't say it is well with your soul after losing a son, after losing your assets, after losing your four daughters. You can't say it is well unless you know the God who calms the raging seas. You can't say that it is well unless you know the God who can walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. How, how do you say it? You say it when God is alive on the inside of you and he's not just a religion by way of theory but he walks with you and he talks with you and there is a living presence of who God is on the inside. 
that and only that when you can be able to say no matter what happens on the outside, it is well, it is well with my soul. Jesus brings us to a space in this ninth chapter of Matthew's gospel where he enters into an interesting dialogue with the disciples uh, as he sits with what the text might describe as the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the disowned, the less of society. Says the text, if you read in Matthew 9, they are looking at him and they are noticing that he is sitting down, the text says, reclining at the table. Whenever a rabbi would recline at a table, that meant that the rabbi was seeking to have intimate relationship with you, intimate by way of wanting to know you and to hear your story. And when they witnessed Jesus sitting down with this group of people, they said that he is sitting with tax collectors and sinners and dining with them. He would have been okay sitting, but dining? The dining of a meal suggested that we are going to have close relations. And then Jesus roars back as he listened to the Pharisees who raised the question to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus says, is it not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick? And then he made this startling word. He says, but go and learn what that means. He told the religious officials, go and learn what I just told you, what it means. Because obviously, says the text, you know nothing about compassion, nor do you know anything about what it means to be considered less than. Follow me now. So Jesus makes it clear to them that your way of thinking is distorted and you might want to have a conversation with yourself. In other words, he says, ask yourself the question, how would I want to be treated if I was marginalized or if I were the outcast of the community or if I was disenfranchised, disowned, if I was in a space where no matter how hard I try, I went up against brick wall, how would you want to be treated? When you're up here, it's easy to look down because you feel in a sense that you have arrived at a space that those who are down should look up to you as some level of divinity. And Jesus says to them, you need to rethink what you are doing. Then he says, because I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's a strange thing. Jesus says, not so, nothing strange about it. I didn't come to call all who sit up here and who think they are already in the heavens. I come to work with those who are down here and who are wrestling with the hells of life. I've come to meet those who are in a space that need to be rescued. And then they said to him, well, if that's the case, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't? And then he said, as long as the bridegroom is here, they don't need to worry about where I am. But when I'm gone, they're going to miss me. Then the story shifts. 
The story shifts, and while they are moving, says the text, Jesus makes this interesting point. You don't put a new patch on old clothing. Now, that's contradicted to what we do, because what do we do? We got a hole, you put a patch on there. But Jesus, now, don't put a new patch on our old clothing. If you do, it will pull away eventually, and then the patch will end it up being waste. You don't put new wine in old wine skins lest the essence of the wine will break the wine skins and you'll lose everything that you have. Couldn't quite still figure out what really that was meaning in terms of reference to self-talk until Jesus makes his way and he is encountered by two episodes. One, a religious official interrupts him and says, my daughter has died and I need you to come and to lay hands on her. If you do, she can get back up. She'll be made well instantly. Well, Matthew doesn't tell us any more details other than the fact that just as they were going on their way, Jesus is interrupted by another episode. A woman who has, says the text, been suffering from a blood hemorrhage for 12 years. Comes up behind him, touches the hem of his garment, and then the text says in verse 21, and she was saying to herself. That tells me that this woman started out that morning realizing that I need to have a conversation with self. And that conversation went like this. For 12 years, in fact, the old King James Version said, she had spent all and no one could heal her issue. For 12 years, she had been wrestling with this matter. She had been wondering why she could not be healed. Sometimes you have to kind of talk to yourself to get yourself beyond the present space that you see. Picture her, if you would, standing there, noticing in the bandaged way that her bleeding is still in the continuous mode. But looking at herself, said to herself, you know what? If he is who they say that he is, if he is in close proximity to me, and if he can heal me as they proclaim that he can, I might as well get myself in a posture to get close to him. Wait a minute, she's marginalized. Leviticus tells us that because she has an issue of blood, she cannot be seen in public. Wait a minute, how would she come out in public when the law prohibits her from being anywhere in proximity to anybody else as long as she has a flow of blood. To make matters worse, if she came out, she was subject to heavy penalty for possibly infecting, as they thought, somebody else or rendering others unclean. But yet, she didn't allow it to stop her. She looked at her circumstance and said to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. Picture her 
going through her mind, I know what the law says. I know I'm not supposed to be out here, but if I could just get to his garment. But why would she want to get to the garment? Why would she want to get that close to him? What gave her that inspiration? A, stories from the past. The reason why I like to talk to myself because it helps me go back and recall some stories to remind me of the capability of what God can do in the darkest moment of my journey. Can you picture her possibly remembering some stories she'd heard about what Jesus had did to heal those who needed healing? Could it be that she had heard the story of blind Bartimaeus? Could it be that she had heard the story of the woman at the well? Could it be that she had heard the story of the man who sat by the pool of Bethesda? Could it be that she had heard the story about the wedding in Cana? Could it be that she had heard the story about Nicodemus at night and just said to myself, if God fixed them, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, but wait a minute, you can't come to the crowd. You, you can't come near the crowd because when the crowd see you show up and they see your bleeding, they, they will render you unclean and they all will back away. And listen to her talk to herself. I know they're going to back away, but they're going to have to back away today because my healing is right there in front of me and I've got to make up in my mind that I'm going to get what is rightfully mine as a daughter of Abraham. Sometimes you got to take a step back and talk to yourself to remind yourself that victory is already won, but it needs for you to tell yourself, since it's already won, let me go and conquer it because I am more than a conqueror because I am in Christ Jesus, according to Romans chapter 8. So she makes her way through the crowd, says the text, and she touches the hem of his garment. But it says saying to herself, constantly conversing with her soul. Why would she do that? Four things. Number one, because soul talk is prayerful talk. It's prayerful talk because it's improvisational. That means that you can talk with your soul and with God on the fly. That means that I don't have to wait until I get to church, don't have to wait until I get home, don't have to wait until I get to a sacred space. In fact, my best soul talk is when I'm in a jam and I can't have time to figure out how I'm going to religiously say what I'm going to say. I just look up and say, Lord, now look here. We in this situation where I need your divine intervention in the language of grandmama, I'm stretching my hand unto thee because no other help do I know. She spit all. And if I could just get in touch, the hem of his garment. Sometimes you have to talk to yourself and say, you know what? Mom can't help me. Dad can't help me. Friends can't help me. Associates can't help me. It's me, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's prayerful talk and improvisational because no matter what the context is, 
even when the marginalized are prohibited from coming among the general population, I can talk with God in my mind. I'm always amazed at people who cry foul because prayer is no longer legally in school. You don't need legality to have a prayer. You can just sit there and talk to God in your mind and in your heart. Have a conversation with your soul. I don't need that. In fact, I don't want that legalized. I, there's some things I want to talk to God about and talk to myself about that I don't want nobody else to hear. And so this text argues that she says to herself in a very prayerful manner. But watch this. Secondly, self-talk is good because it's private. It's private, which means it's intimate. As I alluded to earlier, there's some things that I don't want to talk about publicly and I don't want anybody else knowing that I'm even thinking watch this now so there are some people that I'm looking at and I don't want you to know what I'm thinking I don't want you to know what's going on in my mind what I want to say so I'm just talking that out with God and myself why is that important because the Holy Spirit works in the midst of my self-talk because when I'm just talking to me, the Spirit reminds me, don't say that, don't do that, don't go there, don't think that. Because sometimes we speak before we think. And when out, it's out. And there is no recouping what we have spoken. But if I have that conversation, watch her. Let's look at this text. She is saying to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Can you imagine what others may have said if they had heard her say that? Not only is she unclean, unclean, but she can't touch him and he can't touch her that would render him unclean as a rabbi. But she said, thank goodness God lets us talk with him and talk with ourselves in a very intimate, private way so that we can erase the judgmental spirit that we often encounter for trying to seek. Go back up a few verses and when Jesus told them, go back and learn what I'm trying to tell you, he's trying to tell them sometimes you have to be private and intimate because you're seeking compassion and you won't find it outside of here. In fact, you'll find condemnation. Do you know how many people live in agony day in and day out because they would love to share what ails them but they know they will be judged? And because they know they will be judged, they have to enter into a space of turmoil repeatedly. Can you imagine what was going on in her mind before she arrived at this conclusion? If I could just touch the hem of his garment, my whole life will be made different. But soul talk is not only prayerful and profit, but it's purposeful. It's instructional. Listen to what she says. She is purposeful in where she's going. Straight to his garment. Why? At the end of his garment would be hanging blue tassels. Every rabbi would have tassels hanging at the edge of their garment to signify their divinity or their relationship with Yahweh. Her belief is that if she could touch Yahweh, 
those tassels, something supernatural would happen to her life. She was already, watch what Jesus says, reaching out in faith without even saying faith outwardly. But her mind mentally was already processing in her soul, this is going to be a faith action because by law, you have no business being here in the first place. Look at what the text says. She reached out and touched him and she said, if I can do it, I'll be well. But Jesus turned and said, daughter, hold up. In fact, one writer says, as he looks, and he looks at the disciples and says, who is it that has touched me? Remember the disciples' response? Master, there's a lot of people out here. How are we going to know exactly who touched me? Oh, but the virtue has went out of me. And that touch signified that there was a faith action in motion. Somebody had talked with themselves enough to know that you have to take that step, walk out into the deep and believe that God's going to help you undergirded. Here it is. When Peter sees Jesus and he sees Jesus walking, Peter says, Lord, if that's you, Bid me to come out there where you are. And watch the text. It says that Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk on water. Why? He had to initiate in his mind and say to himself, do you really want to get out there and walk on water? You see where Jesus is? Don't nobody walk on water. But self said, we're going to walk on water today because if it's Christ... He will allow me to walk out there. In fact, he'll lay the carpet out. And as I walk over, I'll walk over the water. And every now and then, when it looks impossible, you got to tell yourself, I know it's not possible in the natural, but I serve a supernatural God who can open up the windows of heaven, who can build a bridge over troubled waters, who can open some doors. And I got to step out by faith with a purpose. She said, if I could just touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And Jesus says, daughter. You see that signification? Daughter. He knew exactly who it was that touched him. Somebody who had already talked themselves up to enough to know that I got to move by faith. And sometimes you got to talk yourself into moving by faith. You can't allow your rationality to be the ruling reign in your mind and heart. He says, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you. It's all right to talk to yourself as long as you let me in the conversation. And she did that. Let him in. And he said, daughter, I know you've been talking to the father. That doesn't say that in the text, Murphy. Oh, yes, it does. Yes, it does. It's, I'm going to borrow Mrs. Margot Tyree's term, it's inferred in the text. That means that you don't see it written, but all of the insinuation of the language suggests Jesus was in this conversation in her mind. Maybe that conversation was, you know what? If he healed Bonamaeus, yes, I did. You see how I healed Bonamaeus? I'm going to do the same thing for you. If he healed the woman at the well, yes, I did. You see how I healed her? I'm going to do the same for you. If she has that conversation, as a man thinketh, 
It's purposeful, instructional, final point, it's peaceful, insightful. Look at the last line of verse 22. At once, the woman was made well. At once, the woman was made well. Can you envision this woman who's had agony for 12 years now has finally arrived at freedom? And if you can't envision it, just envision when you were delivered by the hand of God. Just envision when you experience that breakthrough. Just envision the moment in which that door was finally open for you. Just envision the moment in which your whole life changed for the glory of God. Joy filled her life. And here is what's left to the mystery. As the woman is healed, the text tells us nothing about what she did once she got the healing, what she did once she left the presence of Jesus, whether she continued to follow Jesus. It just said that she was made well. But I know what I'm going to do. And I know what I'm continuing to do. And I'm going to argue that you need to take some time to talk to yourself because there are moments in which you need to do a self-evaluation to see where you are in your walk with God. Where am I in my commitment to the work of God? Where am I in my commitment to prayer in God, to the reading of the word? Where am I in my commitment to serving and witnessing for God? You need to do a little self, a little pat on your back, a little self-exhortation encouragement. Why? Nothing wrong with it because it's where God lives on the inside of you. And what does that do in the long run? Well, sometimes just to hear myself talk. You, you, you hear people say, you love to hear yourself talk. Yep, I sure do. Because if I don't talk to me, there are lots of others who will be willing to talk. And everybody's conversation is not a welcome conversation. And we should guard against who's actually speaking into us. And who's actually trying to create conversation with us. You should be very careful because when you start talking about deposits into your mental aspect and then you start talking to yourself, you will draw from the closet of negativity. Because you've allowed people to pile junk into your mind as if it's a waste basket. But this text says, she was saying, Final word, present tense. She didn't just say it yesterday. This is present tense. She was saying it now repeatedly. And all I came to say is maybe you need to start talking to yourself and having a conversation with your soul and listen to God respond so that God can tell you, we got this down packed if you just follow my will. Final verse, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Listen to what God tells Joshua. Whatever you do, don't go to the right and don't go to the left, but hang out in the middle of the road 
And then he says, don't allow this word to depart, watch this, from your mouth. I want you to not just think it, the word, but I want you to speak it. Because I want you to think it by having conversation with the word. Every now and then I like to sit down and just talk with a biblical character. So let me show you how I do that, and then I'm done. So every now and then I have to sit down with my favorite character, Jeremiah. And I go, what's up, Jerry? What's up? What's happening? What's going on, man? And Jeremiah says, you back again? Yep, I'm back again, man. I got, I got, I got a little something going on here. I said, man, you know, I'm, I feel like you feel. I, I, you know, I kind of feel like God didn't tell me the whole story. Yeah, I know. I feel you. I feel what you're saying. Yeah. I said, man, you know, I, I'm, I'm about to give up this preaching thing because, you know, it just, it just ain't in it for me, man. I don't have the energy. I don't have the time. You know, it's just not profitable. Ain't nothing happening. And, you know, I'm just kind of tired of it, man. It's just not what I thought it was going to be. And Jeremiah said, I feel you, man. I, I feel you. But hey, hey, listen, check this out, though. Uh, I felt the same way, man. But look, you know what? When I was in prison, I literally had a conversation with myself. And I started asking myself the question, so self, why are you preaching in the first place? And self said, well, I'm preaching because there's a prophetic call in my life, and I believe God wanted me to do that, and that's what I'm going to do. Okay, so we got to hang out with that. You can't discount that. You can't disregard that. you got to remember what you're doing is not your choice to do. It's a divine calling, so hang out with the calling. Got that, Jack. All right, man, I got that. I got that, Jeremiah. Okay, so what's the next thing? All right, second thing is, not only do you know you got a divine calling, but what's the cost you think it's going to do for you to preach? Well, it costs a lot, man. I mean, you know, I got to study, and then, you know, half the time when I'm preaching, they don't understand me anyway, and I'm saying stuff, and, you know, they don't get what I'm saying anyway, and then they tell me I preach too long, and, you know, it's as if they're trying to say, you know, hey, we want our sermon in 15, 20 minutes. Jeremiah said, I got you, I feel you. But remember now, even if they say that, to whom are you really preaching? I told you I'm talking with self and Jeremiah. He and I talking. I says, well, you know, I'm preaching to the people. No, not really. You're preaching to God. And does God have a time limit? And if God does, who controls time? I said, yeah, but Jeremiah, you understand. In my church where I'm at, you know, we got like a two-hour window from 11 to 1. And, you know, when I get past 1 o'clock, people kind of get a little antsy. And they kind of start looking at one, like, come on, Rev, let's get this thing over with. And Jeremiah says, yeah, but see, do you discount preaching because you're on a time span? I said, well, see, now, see you're not getting it, Jeremiah. Here, here it is. See, I don't preach out in the field like you do. I preach in a sanctuary, and I preach where people come for a certain amount of time and, because they got other things to do. They got to go to the mall, got to go out for brunch, you know, got a lot of stuff to do, man. They just can't hang out with me all day long. And, and Jeremiah said, oh, but see, listen, uh, as you preach to God, does God not give you the inspiration to drop the divine nuggets? I said, yeah. I got you. I feel you, Jeremiah. But see, here's what you don't understand. I drop divine nuggets, but when I finish preaching, I look on the ground. They still down. Ain't nobody picked them up. They still on the ground. I mean, nobody, nobody thought enough to pick them up. He said, I, I, but guess what? If you come back the next day, is there nuggets still on the ground? 
uh, well, you know, I can't really say because, you know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. You might want to come back and check the ground. Now, in fact, when everybody leaves service, come back and look on the ground and see if you still see them negative. I guarantee you, not everybody will reach out immediately, but after they have that self-talk, what the preacher just said, I got to go back and pick that nugget up off the ground because that nugget had my name on it, and because it had my name on it, I got to go pick it up because this came down from heaven just for me. I'm talking about talking with Jeremiah. Now, you might understand that, and Jeremiah said, here's my final question. Do you really want to throw in the towel? I said, absolutely. I just want to give it up. I'm tired of dealing with it. People are crazy. The whole church situation crazy. Ain't nothing like it used to be. Jeremiah said, I feel you. In fact, I had already told God, this is it. I'm done. When I get out of this jail, I'm going to get as far as I can get away from you. And I ain't talking never about your name again. But Jeremiah said, have you ever noticed though, Reb? Something starts happening when you say you're going to give it up. You ever notice there's a wheel that starts turning on the inside of you and there is a drip drop coming down from heaven onto your life and there's a power that starts welling up and there's a joy that comes about that you never thought you had before and it feels like fire shut up in your bones and that's God's way of trying to tell you I wanted to have a talk with you so I could get that fire out of you and talk to yourself every now and then and just get it out and then I just I, I said boy you alright I got to go but you alright boy you, you, you alright you right and then Isaiah said can I just put in my two cents worth? And I say, Isaiah, I'm on tight time span. I got to go, man. I, I, got, I got an appointment. I got to go. Isaiah said, it won't take long. It won't take long. But Isaiah says, when you think about the calling, and the calling is this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. To set those captive who are in bondage. And to watch the downtrodden come above the surface. Jeremiah, I mean Isaiah said, that's your paycheck right there, Reverend. That's how you get paid by watching people's lives. Isaiah, you don't realize this. Man, don't nobody tell me what the word says to them. Man, they just come in service and go out. They don't even say thank you, nothing. They just leave. And Isaiah says, so what? In the heavens, there is a stenographer who record October the 1st, 2017. Murphy preach soul talk, self talk. That's all that counts. If they don't say nothing, it don't matter. It don't matter. You just got to do what God told you to do and keep on having your self-talks. I say, you and Jeremiah got something wrong with y'all, but I'm out of here today. I'm, 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 I'm gone now, now. But I'm just trying to tell you every now and then you ought to have a talk with biblical characters. Just sit down and say, speak to me. I, I want to feel what's going on in this text. I'm here to tell you they will talk back to you. Right in the midst of your soul. How many of us have heard God speak to us through those boys in that fire in front? Through Daniel in the lion's den. 
through Israel crossing the Red Sea, through he handling Pharaoh and his army. How many of us have heard God speak when we enter into that conversation with my soul? So that when the work is done and I'm able to lay down at night, I can say with Horatio Spafford, it is well, it is well with my soul. So talk with God. Talk with self. So 